0: Turn with me to John and chapter 1. It's quite a long passage, but we're going to do it in two parts this morning because we're considering two witnesses. We're starting at verse 19 of John chapter 1. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and didn't deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Not getting the message, are they? Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on whom, of whom I said, After me comes a man who was of higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I didn't recognize him, but so that he may be manifested or demonstrated to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to him, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And this passage begins with with the introduction of John the Baptist, with those in authority in Jerusalem. And as the passage unfolds, It later moves into Jesus' encounter with Nathaniel, as we'll come to a little bit later. But first, this this incident, this discussion, this dialogue between John the Baptist and those who had come from Jerusalem. They'd come to find out who he was. They'd come to say, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you baptizing? What's what's this, this thing that you're doing here? And he told them very clearly, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. And he also confirmed that he wasn't The prophet or Elijah? Now, we may uh, be intrigued as to why um, they thought he might be either of those, but we'll come to that in a moment. But who is the prophet that he's talking about when he says, I'm not the prophet? Tell my Bible school students, can't you? (laughs) Say it louder. The one Moses promised, that's right. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 to 18. Moses promised the people that after him, God would raise up another prophet just like him. And that's what they're saying. Are you that prophet that Moses promised to us that would come? And he said, no, I'm not that prophet. Um, And John emphatically says it's not him. In fact, that prophet is in fact Jesus himself who was coming. Then John also denies being Elijah. He's asked this question because of what it's prophesied in Malachi. And Just keep your finger in John and turn back a few pages to Malachi in chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 says, Behold, I'm going to send to you, you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And so it was prophesied um, several hundred years before John the Baptist came, and before Jesus came, that before the coming of the Lord, Elijah would come first. And so they're saying, are you Elijah? Are you coming in preparation for the Messiah coming? John says, no, I'm not Elijah. Prophet Elijah, of course, will come first. But was he Elijah or not? Hmm? Yes. There we go. (laughs) However, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 10, Jesus says that John was, in fact, Elijah. So even though he says, I'm not Elijah, Jesus says, actually, this was the one who was going to come. And in Luke 1.17, the prophecy to John's father was that John would come in the spirit and power of Elijah and would be the forerunner before the coming of the Messiah. So in what way was John Elijah? He didn't think he was, but, but and yet he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. How was John the Baptist Elijah? Well, he wore the same clothing. Elijah wore camel's hair. John the Baptist wore camel's hair. But it's quite rough, don't you? Presumably, you wear the hair on the outside, not the inside. Secondly, a wicked queen sought to kill Elijah. A wicked queen killed John. Elijah called the people to repentance from Baal worship and back to Yahweh. John called the people to repent and prepare for the coming of the Lord. And so in every way, he was a new Elijah. He fulfilled what Elijah had done. Thus, although John knew he was not actually Elijah, he fulfilled the Elijah role in in and in announcing the coming of the Messiah. Interestingly enough, this is all also a reference back to um, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, which says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Of that same person, the messenger who was coming, This Elijah figure, he was going to prepare the way before the Lord came into his temple. What are we celebrating today? Palm Sunday, when Jesus came into the temple, Elijah fulfilled and prepared the way for the Lord to come into his temple, as fulfilled, uh, as promised in the prophecy to Malachi in chapter 3, verse 1. So he affirms here that John is the messenger. The passage also confirms that Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God himself. Jesus is the Lord who would come into his temple. And the coming of the Lord into his temple was fulfilled on Palm Sunday. There's also a reference back here to Isaiah chapter 40. If you're so inclined, please come with me there. Because this is what John actually quotes of himself. Isaiah 40 verse 3. A voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up. Let every mountain and hill be made low. Let, every, let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He was the one who would prepare the way of the Lord for the Lord through civil engineering. He would make the valleys low, uh, high, and bring the mountains down. He was to build a highway, to make a road straight, to level the mountains. And this was all to make a way clear for the coming of the Lord. So that, and that word again, glory, it says glory in the Isaiah passage, so that his glory might be seen in Israel and his glory would be revealed. And John's gospel is all about revealing the glory of the Lord. And so, John. The writer picks up this up, that John the Baptist's role was to bring the preparation so that the glory of the Lord could be seen amongst them and the glory of God could be revealed to Israel. And if we want to see the glory of God revealed amongst us, we too must make a, make a straight way amongst us into our hearts. We must deal with that which makes the way of the Lord in coming to us difficult. That is, we must deal with that which gets in the way through repentance, just as John the Baptist prophesied. Nothing must stop the way of the Lord. The Lord must have free entrance into our hearts. The Lord must have free entr- entrance amongst us. The Lord must be, have a pre- way prepared for us. And it's not for John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Lord to come to us. It's for you and I. And that way is prepared through repentance, through setting our lives right, through opening the doors and allowing him to come fully into our hearts. For as we do so, so the glory of the Lord will be revealed in us and amongst us. Hallelujah. So John the Baptist was the one prophesied who would come to prepare the way of the Lord. In the course of this chapter, in chapter 1, John of John, Jesus is assigned a number of titles. And John the writer is making very clear in this first chapter who we believe Jesus is. We saw last week then that in chapter 20, verse 30, 31... John's whole purpose was that you might grasp who Jesus is, that you might know that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And by grasping that fact, you might believe in him. And so John, the writer, is making clear in this passage who Jesus is. And he gives him various titles. The first one is in John 120, where he says, no, it's not in 120. <laughs> Verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John attributes to Jesus, the one who was coming after him, this title, Lamb of God. This phrase is not found anywhere else in Scripture except in this passage, but is used twice by John the Baptist in heralding Jesus. And the image of the Lamb, of course, is symbolic, rich in symbolism. The sacrifice of the Lamb provided atonement for sin. Further, the Passover land, though not a sacrifice for sin, symbolized deliverance from evil and from captivity. Also, this image relates back to the suffering servant of Isaiah, which says in Isaiah 53, 7, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth speaking of the messianic figure that was coming. The image of the lamb is a powerful image that that John picks up and says, Jesus is the one who's going to fulfill everything that was spoken of the lamb in the Old Testament. And finally, it prefigures the horned lamb of Jewish thought who would bring about the judgment of the wicked and the salvation of the righteous in a decisive way at the end of the present age. It's the lamb that sits on the throne. It's the lamb that brings judgment. And that's the image of the lamb that you see in Revelation. And it's, of course, this image that John picks up in the book of Revelation, as we said. And so John the Baptist here is saying, everything you know about the lamb from the from the word of God, everything you've read, everything you've heard, it's all being fulfilled for this one who's coming is the lamb of God. He's the one and he's going to bring salvation and he's going to set you free and he's going to bring deliverance and he's going to bring forgiveness and he's going to make a way to God, but beware, he's also the one who's going to finally judge the world. In chapter 1, verse 34, I've got all my verses wrong here, it's not 34. Well, somewhere in there, <laughs> it designates him as the chosen one. The chosen one, sorry. Okay, thank you. It doesn't say it in this translation. That's what threw me. That's that's what comes from doing your prepping one translation and reading out of a different one when you're doing chosen one. Thank you. Chosen one is an important one. Another title, the chosen one, the one who is chosen specifically by God, the one whom God has selected for the task. It's a reference back to Isaiah forty-two one. In Isaiah, you have a number of, of, of passages about the suffering about the servant of the Lord, and in one of them, he says says this. He says, "This is my chosen one, in whom I delight. I have put my law in his mouth, and." It's saying God chose Jesus specifically because he delighted in him. He delights in his son. He loves his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He's the chosen one who God chose because nobody else could be do the job. Nobody else was good enough. Nobody else could do that that task. And God chose Jesus as the only one who could make the way known. And so he calls him his chosen one. And John is identifying Jesus with those servant passages of Isaiah and thus demonstrating that he's the Messiah. In chapter 1, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom the Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And in this point, he's identifying him with that prophet that we talked about earlier, the one that Moses said God would raise up after him. He's the one prophesied that in, the, in the book of the law that Moses promised. And the significance of this is that Jesus came as the new Moses. He came to bring in a new covenant. He came to bring deliverance from slavery to sin, just as Moses had brought them out of slavery in bondage to Egypt. He came to lead us out of bondage and into the inheritance that he has for those who love him. And we'll see this Exodus image popping up throughout the Gospel of John. And so John is introducing this notion so that as we look out for it throughout the book, we will see Jesus as the new Moses figure, the prophet promised. The one who fulfills the type. Then, throughout the passage, in chapter one, forty-one, forty-five, and forty-nine, he identifies Jesus as the Messiah, and the Messiah is a is a, is a title that means the Anointed One, the King of Israel, the one who was promised the one who would come from the Father, the one who would bring freedom. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. He is the son of David. He is the Christ. These titles we're familiar with, but for those who were using them and those who are hearing them, they would be full of resonance and of uh, prophetic impact. Then in verse 49... He's identified as son of God. And this is the one term, uh, sorry, this in Greek thought, this signified divination. uh, Sorry, not divination, divine, being divine, divine extraction. So, for example, Alexander the Great saw himself as a son of Zeus. Um, Caesar believed that he was a son of God and that when he died, he would become a god. And so this is rife in the world in which this book is being written. And Jesus is identified as Son of God, the Messiah. It's also significant in Jewish terms. It signified an association with a role in salvation history, which included David, the Messiah, as David. And and therefore, um, in following on from David, the Messiah, the nation of Israel itself, is summed up in this term. Thus, the term is more strongly associated with Jesus' messianic claims than with his divine ones. But Jesus is different in John's Gospel. When Jesus is identified as the Son of God, he's identified as the only begotten Son of God. And that is very significant. It literally means the only one of a single kind. No one is God's Son in the sense that Jesus is God's Son. We become children of God, but he is the son of God. And there is a difference. There is only one who is good enough. And then also in chapter 151, Jesus identifies himself as the son of man. And this is the one term Jesus uses constantly throughout the Gospels. It's not comparing son of man and son of God son of man is first used in daniel 7:13 of the messiah and by using this t- title jesus identifies himself as the messiah he says that's who i am and that term would have been resonant again again amongst them as soon as he says son of man they're thinking back to daniel they're thinking back to the prophecies of the old testament they're thinking back to the one who would come they're thinking back to all that was prophesied about this character The Gospel of John presents an extended discourse on this term and makes Jesus the explicit, um, and, makes, and Jesus makes the explicit claim that he is the Son of Man that he is the one who fulfills all of that prophecy. And finally, this term is used again by John to identify Jesus in Revelation chapter 1: 13. And so in all of these titles that we've just picked out and rushed through very quickly, all of them are pointing towards something greater that has come amongst them. That Jesus was not just a man who came to John, but the Baptist to be baptized. But that John is pointing out in all of these titles that he is something far more. That he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. That he's the one who everyone's been expecting and waiting for. That he's the one who's come into the world to do something that nobody else could do. That he's the one chosen by God. That he's the one with the title above every other name. That he's the one who's come as Messiah, as Savior, as Deliverer, as Conquering King. And as the one who would set up a new kingdom. And all of these titles point towards that in this chapter. Let's now consider Jesus' encounter with Nathanael. So we'll start reading again at verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with his two disciples, or two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathaniel, and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? you will see greater things than these. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what's all this about? This encounter of Jesus with Nathaniel. The only places that Nathaniel is mentioned in the New Testament is in this passage and in, uh, in the list of disciples in John 21, verse 2. So he's not a high-profile disciple. One of the lesser ones, you know, in the background. This is his moment of glory and fame. We're told he's from Cana. And of course, it's in Cana that Jesus performs the first sign miracle that indicates who he is, as we'll see next week. No, not next week. A couple of weeks' time. He was clearly a friend of Philip. And Philip wants him to be in on this new discovery. We found the Messiah. Come and see. Come and see. And uh, Nathaniel's a bit cynical about it. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? This doesn't undermine Philip's faith or enthusiasm. And so Nathaniel goes with him to see Jesus. But in order to understand the conversation between Nathaniel, Nathaniel and Jesus, you need to grasp that there's a play on words going on here. Jesus says to Nathaniel, An Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Jesus is playing with the name of Jacob. Jacob, his name means deceiver. After he encountered God, he became Israel. And Jesus is saying, you, Nathaniel, are like Jacob. Not when he was a deceiver, but after he'd encountered God. You are a true Israelite. You are the one that I came to make Jacob like when I encountered him, when he was coming back to Israel, to the land. An Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He is effectively saying an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. So Jesus is identifying Nathaniel as a man of integrity and as a man who had encountered God. And that's why Nathaniel responds by saying, how do you know me? Clearly, Jesus has seen right through him to his character. Jesus identified what his nature was. In response, Jesus identifies that he saw him prophetically before he saw him physically. He saw him under the fig tree. And the fig tree is also a reference to Israel. There are three trees in scripture used to identify with Israel. The vine, the olive, and the fig tree. And they all bring out different aspects of what Israel is like. And so when Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree, it symbolizes the fruitfulness of the nation. That's why Jesus cursed the fig tree later, because it didn't bring forth the fruit of repentance. And so in seeing him in the fig tree, he's identifying him with the nation of Israel and saying, you're a true Israelite. You're one in whom the kingdom is. Matthew Henry suggests that Nathaniel was perhaps under the fig tree praying about the state of his nation. And hence Jesus identified him as a true Israelite. And Jesus' prophetic knowledge draws faith from Nathaniel as he realizes the incisiveness of Jesus' revelation and identifies Jesus as both son of God and king of Israel. And so Nathaniel has spotted it, recognizes the messianic role Jesus has come to play. And in response, Jesus returns to the Jacob symbolism. He tells Nathaniel that he'll see Jacob's ladder. You remember when he was in Bethel that he, the angels were coming up and down on the rock. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, you'll see it just like Jacob did. Only you're not going to see the passage between heaven and earth at a rock in Bethel. You're going to see it on me because I'm the one who is bringing the life of God. And there is movement between heaven and earth while I'm on earth. And you will see power and you will see miracles and you will see healing. And all of that will reveal that you're in the presence of the living God. And these in turn will demonstrate that Nathanael's statement concerning Jesus being the king of Israel, its Messiah, will be confirmed. And so that whole passage is symbolic and prophetic. But it's an encounter that was life-changing for Nathanael. So in this passage, we've encountered two early witnesses of who Jesus is. The first one, John the Baptist, identified Jesus... Jesus by a number of titles, but especially as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and thus affirms the sacrificial role that Jesus had come to play. And he also identifies him as the baptizer in the Spirit. The second one, Nathaniel identifies Jesus as son of God and king of Israel, and thus affirms his messiahship. The platform that John builds in this first chapter is foundational for the rest of the gospel, as we shall see. And the key for us is to understand that John is leaving us in no doubt as to who Jesus is so that we might believe in him and through believing might have eternal life. As we enter Holy Week, remember that who it is we are celebrating, especially in the passion. Give thanks to God for the salvation that's come to us through the Son of God who came to earth for you and me, because it's in this that everything changes. The kingdom comes. Life begins eternally now. Put your trust in him. And trust him for the future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And that, Lord God, as we grapple with it and you reveal the treasures that are in it, so, Lord God, we are enlivened and encouraged. And I pray, Lord God, that, that we might get a greater grasp of who you are and of what Jesus came to do in these coming days that might transform us further into the likeness of your Son. We thank you for all that you've achieved, the boldness with which we can come before you. Lord God, the access that we have into your presence because Jesus came amongst us. And I pray, Lord God, that we might prepare a way in our hearts, each one of us, And remove all hindrances that your glory might be seen here in our lives and amongst us. We commit ourselves to you this day and for this week. Be with us, we pray. Amen.